Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, BladeDisgusting.com's Dead Pixels horror video game podcast, delivering a horrifying new episode every Monday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I am the other one, Neil Bolt. And this week, we're introducing a new segment for the show called Horror Bites, in which we highlight a handful of bite-sized games from the far corners of the indie horror space. And we will be sure to include links on where to find these games in the episode description. So Neil, you and I both recently uh, just upgraded our gaming PCs, or I finally was able to get one after being out of the PC space for so long. So what better way to uh, kind of christen our machines than by diving into some uh, horror games, and specifically indie horror games, and whether or not there's some of the more well-known ones, like a lot of the puppet combo stuff, people have been reaching out to me and being like, oh, you got to check out this one, this one, which I'm more than happy to. In addition, though, I thought we could try to highlight a handful total in terms of indie games that maybe people are less aware of and kind of just expanding the pool of indie horror titles that we're talking about. Yeah, and so what we've done for this uh, as an episode idea is we select a certain amount of games. Um, We've gone with two each here just to sort of set the table and know where we are. It'd probably be more if we figured out from uh, how quickly we got through everything. But (laughs) so... The idea is that we pick stuff we like the look of, not necessarily that we've played, and then go, oh, this is the game I'm going to pick for this week. It's like mm-hmm. So we're not recommending it in that sense. We are just saying, these are my two picks, these are your two picks. And then we both basically go through them together, and it you know, helps us discover different games and see what's going on here, and you know, hopefully helps other people find some more interesting things. I mean, these are generally going to be games that are very, very short you know, um, half an hour to an hour at tops, you know, so perfect little things for that. So, yeah, as we said, we'll include links for all the games, but however we feel about them, you know, we will have those links because obviously this is going to be a bit of a crapshoot in that regards where you will end up with games we're not going to be as fond of for whatever reason and then it's going to be stuff we love, but we don't know until we do this, to the, you know, until we pick these games. Yeah, that's the benefit, right, of them being so bite-sized in that you can kind of just select, and as you said, the more comfortable we get with this and we get the format down for this uh, style of episodes and just bringing whatever just kind of like comes to our fancy, right? I mean, scrolling through something like Itch.io, I must have added 30 games to my collection the other night and just browsing (laughs) just based off of whether it be like little key or buzzwords that are associated with them or screenshots and things like that. And yeah, I love kind of just diving into something just based on how it looks and then a majority of the time it helps that they're free but also you know it's an experience that even if it's not necessarily to our liking or my liking or your liking like you said they top out at generally 30 minutes or an hour sometimes at the most so it's not a crazy time investment but yeah i'm looking forward to kind of furthering our uh, horror palettes as it were and diving into some stuff that uh maybe is outside the realm of what we've played in the past but in the future, just kind of like getting to furthermore explore the different corners of horror yeah. that uh, maybe we hadn't always been aware of. But let's uh, let's start with your first pick for this week. Yeah, my first pick was Three Minutes, which is my dark play game. Um, this was released just a couple of days ago, I think, from the time of recording. So it is very, very new. Um, that's on Itch.io by the way um, most of the games we pick are going to be from Itch.io in this case all of them um, so yes uh, Three Minutes is basically Saw Meets Escape Room 
in a game sort of format where you are given three minutes to escape each room and get to the next room by figuring figuring out the puzzle within it. Puzzles tend to be fairly, you know, simple but not too simple, you know. Um, Like, slight spoiler for the very first puzzle. You have a small room, a locked safe, and all around you, very obvious clues to what sort of date you should be putting in, you know, the... um, I won't give away what because it's there. But yeah, it's a good, simple way to get into it. And yeah, there I was certainly interested in what it was doing. What followed was a bit iffy for me just because um, things didn't work each time in the way they should when it went to the next room. Mm. Um, So the next room, in order to cut a wire, you need wire cutters. And sometimes they would be there. Sometimes they wouldn't be there. Sometimes the lights wouldn't come on to activate the room. Sometimes it would. And I'm sure that the wire wasn't the same each time. Now, maybe there's a random nature to it, but the idea is that you memorise what happens in each room and then sort of try and go on a run because every time you fail a room, you go back to the start style all over again, room to room to room. And no, it, it did just start feeling like, no, this is generally a bit of a problem with the game. But what made me doubt it slightly was on one occasion during that one is I turned around and there was a note on a bed table thing behind me that just said like oof after it had been blown to smithereens and <laughs> yeah, but then it disappeared again so maybe there's aspects of that but if so it feels a little raw like mm. it hasn't quite worked out yet. But I like, I really like the sort of flow of when it gets going and you get for a few rooms and you start figuring out, ah, okay, this works, this works. What again didn't work for me was it's very dark. You know, I mean, that sounds stupid to say about, you know, a game that's horror based in any way, but it really is too dark to see like key items without like sort of hovering your mouse around everywhere in in the vicinity, which as I said made it very difficult when you can't get the item. Because it's not where you remember it being the last time. You know, the first the first room stays the same every time, so it's very odd that little things like that would change afterwards. And I will say there are like some cool sort of deceptions that go on in some of these rooms, like you know, a door that seems like it's the way out won't be the way out, because if it seems too easy, it's probably too easy, and you go into a trap room and you're fucked basically. Um, it's yeah, for the simple concept of it, it's a good way to start it. I think with some work, it could really turn out to be quite a fun little thing. I wasn't even able to get it to install, which was problematic yeah. in and of itself. So it doesn't necessarily surprise me that it felt raw and rough around the edges in that regard for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, like from obviously looking at screenshots and I watched a video of it, I like the concept of applying a speed run type quality to a puzzle game and whatnot yeah. with the aste- overall aesthetic of a horror game and whatnot yeah. which you know I, to your point about like the lighting like yeah that's great for crafting atmosphere but when it's imperative that you're able to find key items and you know it's a problem sometimes they're not even there but that goes without saying it's at the same time though it's like well that atmosphere can't can't interfere with the player's ability to find key items especially then you're adding on the time component to it yeah so it sounds like this is a rough first attempt at something that actually sounds like a pretty intriguing concept and whatnot and you know i think that this is part of the beauty of releasing something like this 
rather than a demo is just saying like, oh, this is this is the the raw version of this game and then showing the concept, a proof of concept, but then there's a lot of work that can be done. But, you know, it's one of those things where how many countless, it's probably infinite titles out there are on something like itch.io or Steam or whatever, mm. but you play it and then you never think about it. And this seems like something that serves as a great proof of concept that still has a lot of work to go, but yeah. you could see this growing, whether it be the time component, whether it's the number of rooms or puzzles, or if they want to craft some sort of conspiracy narrative behind it of who's doing all of this and what is their reasoning type things. I mean, yeah. it seems uh, pretty intriguing, even if it has some work to go. Yeah, so as we could say, I think that good effort has some things that look promising about it. But yeah, there's definitely holes in, in the plan as it stands. But uh, there you go. There's game one of this series out of the way. Um, so what about you? You... What's, what was your first pick? Hey guys, it's Jay. Just a quick note, I got a little overzealous in uh, chatting about this next game and ended up spoiling it a little more than I intended to, but I was just so enthusiastic about getting to chat about it. Uh, so this one has an extra spoiler warning. All right, back to the episode. So my first pick was Tornuktu by Johnny's Games, which yeah. you can find on itch.io. Um, and this is a first-person exploration game. You basically play a little boy that is in a cabin out in the outskirts of Antarctica with his mother. His mother is in bed sleeping and the little boy is left to deal with a bout of insomnia on his own. So he moves from his room to the living room. Clearly it's Christmas time. There's a Christmas tree up. The fire place has lights and stuff on it and whatnot, except you have this book and periodically the book has an icon, like little, almost like fairy dust. Yeah, it sparkles, which I think is great because right from the get-go, before you even really know what's going on, the game does a great job of introducing how you are alerted to certain things in the environment. It's either by sound or it's something, like I just said, like a little sparkle that dances over it. And I really like that just because it doesn't have to have like a big arrow over it or this is what you're supposed to do. Um, It's something where it's more about getting kind of just the sense of it. Uh, and in the environments and things like that, rather than like, here's a checklist of what you have to do. It's more, well, you're going to explore this house as limited as that might be, but then you're eventually going to come back to where the crux of the game occurs. And periodically when you're reading this book, you're given these passages that talk about this creature basically that lives out in Antarctica and it likes to prey upon people that are secluded, that aren't living in the major cities and things like that. And these passages only come up periodically, but every time a passage comes up after you've explored a different area of the house, it furthers the story and it furthers the sort of ramp up to encountering this monster. Um, And there's just this fantastic folklore atmosphere to it, the way that you're, again, it captures that feeling of being a little kid wandering a house at night when all the adults are asleep and whatnot. And now, of course, things are increasingly becoming creepy and whatnot. Um, this, again, is one that I think does a lot with very little. Again, mm-hmm. it only takes probably 15 minutes, but there is an incredible sense of atmosphere and just the ramping up of scares in a way that, again, you know, you talk about how long some of these experiences are. In 15 minutes, it's able to establish an atmosphere, the folk horror aesthetic that I talked about, and we'll delve into a little bit more. But also, I think that it just it captures 
the core of what I love about these types of games. And it doesn't have this kind of over-reliance on jump scares, even though there might be one, but it's more about just capturing the feeling of being alone. So that way, when you get to the big scare at the end, it feels earned and it's earned in a short period of time. It does a really great job, I think, of incorporating, again, that book that starts to slowly give the player information about what is out there, about what is coming before you see it, which is such a pivotal part of a lot of horror games, I think, instead of just, you know, you have this monster run by the window a bunch of times or growl outside the door, you're told about it first. The game describes it to you through the book, which is pretty chilling in the way that it describes it. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm looking for the proper wording, but it describes it as, uh, Tornuktu as a human body that has the head of a reindeer and it's got human teeth that wrap all the way around the front of its face. And then it talks about how it can gallop on all four legs, but it can also stand upright and it's massive and tall and everything. And just that description alone, before you even see it, it builds it up to something that, yeah, it's never necessarily going to be exactly that in terms of like being scary. But I think of anything, the setup to the monster actually ends up making it a little more frightening and especially towards the end of it. But before I delve into, uh, some of the creepier, more overtly creepy moments. Neil, how did you find this one? Yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised. I mean, reading about it just before uh, playing it, you know, the fact that it was made, you know, it's a game jam style thing where it was made in a couple of weeks, you know, has anything like that. It's, you know, really well executed for that. You know, I think that's the best part about it. It's structured well, as you say, the book sort of acts as a nice stopgap between sections. Yeah, I think that my only complaint would probably be that you wander around a little too much for the sake of wandering yeah. around, but yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's just... Yeah, you've got to make these sort of compromises, I imagine, when you're doing it in such short time span. But yeah, it's, it works really well with what it does. You know, it hides limitations really well, and has, yeah, as you say, it has this foreshadowing in each section of the book that works really well. But yeah, if you if we want to get into more detail on it, then yeah, I'll, I'll let you sort of take the lead on that and uh, sort of go into why. Yeah, so much like you said, the foreshadowing comes about when you start reading more about the mannerisms of this creature and whatnot. And before it's even, you get like a glimpse of the creature, again, you read this little detail that says, oh, the Tornuktu, when it picks its victims it builds these snowmen around the house and all the snowmen have like different faces of death and things like that. And then of course the snowmen begin appearing around your house and, you know, talk about limitations. It is very much this kind of like PS one lo-fi horror aesthetic to everything. And yet the introduction of the snowmen, but then also sort of like the crude screwed up faces that they have is really unnerving. And again, it's one thing if, random things start popping up in the environment that's like, yeah, you could see that coming. But I think just having the description and the context, it builds the anticipation for what's coming. So Mm -hmm. when it's delivered, it's not necessarily a surprise, but the lore that's behind it, it makes it just more, even more foreboding, uh, despite the limitations. And, you know, I would definitely agree also to your point about like, there is a little too much wandering through the house and there's not a lot to actually interact with. The only things you interact with are the book and then like the back door swings open at one point yeah. you have to close it. And then the front door swings open. You, I don't think you can close that one because we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about uh, where that goes. But I think that it does a lot with very little. Again, like 
it, a lot of it is based on the sounds of the creature, right? When you know yeah. that it's coming now, it's basically all but been confirmed the monster's coming, and that's when you hear a rustling from the chimney, and then you look up, and of course, it's big faces right there in the chimney. Yeah. Um, but then also, like, eventually the creature gets into your mother's room, and you can't go in there, but... You know her fate as soon... Yeah, you hear it, but then you see, like, blood start to drip from under the door and whatnot. Um, And then getting to the point where you see basically, like, okay, I know the creature's there. It's killed my mother. What else can I do? The front door swings open, and you see that the creature has taken your mother's head and put it onto one of the snowmen, which is just wonderfully deranged in uh, the best way possible for a game like this. And then, of course, the creature shows up. And then that plays out as it plays out. But I think that this game does a really great job, I think, again, to your point of it was made in such a short amount of time, but it still crafts this level of atmosphere that I went back and played it a second time just because I wanted to see if I missed anything. And I found that, again, while the wandering was a little more aimless um, in terms of just like wandering around waiting for the next book passage to trigger, just being able to re-experience just that arch of the scares and how it builds and then the execution on that was really phenomenal for a game that I think takes 15 minutes at most yeah it's a really well made thing of uh, what it is and yeah I, that's the best thing about this you just it's um, I think the best way to describe it it's a scene you know mm-hmm. that's it yeah. Very much, it's not the only one we'll say that about here but it, that's what it feels like it's like the aim is to make a perfect scene yeah, and that's it and it works because of that because that's the focus it's not trying to tell any story outside the one going on in there and in a way that better captures what movies and books do really well with short stories and with scenes you know and anthology scenes and stuff and it's why you see so many sort of anthologies spring up around the small indie projects because it makes sense to try and connect these things in these ways so yeah it's really effective and uh, yeah I was very impressed with this one let's move on to your second pick for the week yeah so my second pick was and again Experiment Groceries um, which was an interesting title straight away and then just seeing the visuals which are again this sort of low poly look um, but just looked weird enough and desolate enough so I was like oh okay yeah I've got to give this a go um, so this was released by, I'm going to say this horribly wrong, aren't I? Nihilanth's Games. And yeah, this was again just published in the last week, I believe. And again, you can find that on itch.io and support the developer at ko-fi.com and nihilanth.dev, which you'll find at the link that we provide. The idea of this game is you go to the local supermarket every day, which is very, very barren. There's actually one checkout worker there. <laughs> You have a list of things to get each day that you go there and you pick them up, literally pick them up, take them to the counter one by one, boot there, put them in your bag, go out the door, end of section. You come back the next day, something's different, like the doors off its hinges or... Yeah, and it just gets progressively weirder. Again, this is very short, but... Yeah, things ramp up and become very, very strange indeed. Now, yeah, it's, it gets to a point where it looks like it goes back to normal again. And then, yeah, it, it starts getting very, very weird and the lights go out and then you're having to go around with a flashlight and you're just thinking, okay, so it's going to be your usual sort of thing. 
but no it goes very um restrained i would say you know you're expecting jump scares you're expecting chase being chased by things and it never happens and i am so thankful for that because it's just it it's all about building this atmosphere and one of the things that really struck me was the use of music Yes. Towards the end of this game, where, where it just no matter how you know, it, no matter what pace you were taking it at, or you know, finding again, it's another game where they they sort of highlight things that you're supposed to go and do next in a very sort of glowing light sort of way, rather than you know, and it looks you know, natural to this weird aesthetic that's going on. And yeah, just the way the music ramps up and up and up to a crescendo, and never. You know, without it sort of having some sort of big boot payoff, but it's great. I, I love that, and it's because you just keep expecting something, but also you're hearing weird noises and things about it. And you read these notes that tell you about what's go- might be going on, and I, I'm keeping this very vague on purpose because I like the the vagueness here with this one. It deserves to mm. be sort of discovered in that regard. But yeah, it just it's a really cool little experience, and I'd love to see something a bit more. Uh, something bigger from this idea. I totally agree in terms of the use of subverting the audience expectations, I think, for this type of game, right? Like you said, generally you would think that, oh, I've got to run away from some demon between the aisles or there's going to be a big jump scare at the very end just when you think you've escaped. And it never does that. It lets the audio do most of the heavy lifting to the point where like, my hair was standing up for the entire time that that section happened. And then because you keep anticipating it and Mm. In it not coming, it ends up being more satisfying because it shows how much they can do without doing the most obvious thing. Um, I also really love with this game, and it's an element of a lot of these types of like scene games, as you mentioned, in terms of it taking a task that's very mundane mm. to the point that it really does lull the player almost into a false sense of security, right? In that you have to make three trips before anything happens, and then all of a sudden the the doors off the hinges at the entrance, one of the aisles is knocked over. Uh, but the person that works there never comments on it. And then sort of unearthing the mystery of the store and whatnot, really, it, it took a turn in a way that I wasn't expecting. And I think you're right mm-hmm. in terms of it just being more vague uh, in terms of talking about specifics. But it does a really great job of just capturing this the sense that something is wrong, but having the sense to have the buildup to that, yeah. like the payoff for that, play out in a way that feels natural. It doesn't feel forced. It's not... The second you go into the store, oh, shit's gone weird. Because otherwise, then you're like, well, yeah, this is what I expected. That false sense of security, I think, is really imperative to just exploring these spaces and these little slices of what you could see flourishing into a bigger experience or just an experience that maybe delves even more into the elements that we've mentioned that have been so successful. But yeah, and this was a great starting point. Fantastic. So we we just have one more then, which is... uh... Security Booth. Yeah, so my uh, my last pick was Security Booth by Kyle Horwood. Um, this is another first-person lo-fi horror aesthetic game where you play a security guard, and it mm. puts you into, again, these sort of like mundane nature of a, a role or a job in that you're literally a security guard, and your job is every time a car pulls up to the gates outside of this mysterious building that you're uh, guarding – you have to check their license plate and cross-reference it with a book to see if these people are supposed to be let in. If they are, press the big red button and opens the gates and they drive through and then you wait for the next car to show up and the next car and the next car. 
And again, this captures the really mundane atmosphere, reality of like what that type of job might be, whether it be overnight or just, you know, yeah. working security. But then, of course, thing, strange things begin happening. You get a phone call that says like, warning, 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 but then there's no context for what that mm. means. You turn around and there's all of a sudden a strange note that's been plastered to the wall behind you and you read it. And it's a journal entry that's alluding to some sort of experiment. Yeah. And then all of a sudden a vehicle shows up and their license plate isn't in the book that you're supposed to be referencing. Which I also noticed the car is the one that you see at the you know, further off in the distance that's talking yeah. to someone you know, that on the side of the road when another car pulls up. Yep. Uh, that's say it's a nice little bit of so foreshadowing, if you will, for it. Does a great job, I think, of, again, pacing itself really well because yeah. that's not within the first car or the two cars. I think that doesn't happen until, like, you've had to vet four or five vehicles mm. because, again you get this sense of security and that, okay, this is my booth and I'm in charge. Everybody listens to me. And then what are you going to do when all of a sudden you're met with the one thing you're supposed to be on the lookout for? I found it to be incredibly unnerving and mm. um, it does a really, and without, you know, spoiling a lot of the elements that pop up at the very end of the game. Cause I think this has a really, really fantastic buildup that's different than uh, the last game that we talked about, but it still capitalizes on this in a way that I would say is similar in that it's a little more overt, but at the same time, it has that fantastic pacing and the buildup to it that yeah. feels like the scene out of a horror movie that would be the most memorable one or this moment that it's like, well, if I was going to recommend it to somebody, it would be based off of that. Um, yeah. And just a great job of crafting a world and you get the sense of like a little bit of what's going on behind the gates and what you're supposed to be guarding and whatnot. But how did you find this one? Yeah, so what really endeared me to this was again from my experiences doing sort of night portering um, at a hotel where you know you have this very specific job of like vetting people making sure there are the right people to come in you know dealing with people who aren't supposed to come in stuff like that and having had some really weird and intense encounters because of that so it, it certainly raised some heckles in me that I haven't had raised in a good while so <laughs> in that regard and I think adding that sort of layer of stuff going on as it progresses where it just starts making you think well I don't want to leave now because you know little things happen like noises and sights and sounds that then you get well, if I leave this booth something's going to happen something's going to happen mm -hmm. I like the, the, I think it has more than one ending I think with this so yeah um, depending on what you do and don't do so yeah it's I'd be intrigued to go back and find out what else there was but it still didn't end exactly how I expected it, which is good in this way. And it, again, a game that doesn't rely on jump scare style tactics or anything like really hitting out at you. It, it builds atmosphere, it builds dread, builds unease, and yeah, then throws a curveball and, you know, with the end of it. But I, I think that's the best way to do it because otherwise you're just expecting something and maybe. For some, that's what they want. They want the whole build, 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 payoff. To do a payoff like that, you really have to nail it or hope that you've got an audience that doesn't mind, you know, something very obvious, you know, which we've seen in so many games now. I mean, Christ, Five Nights at Freddy's are still doing <laughs> the, here's the thing in your face, but game over sort of thing, but which, you know, no matter how sophisticated that series gets, it ends up being the same thing at the end of the day. So yeah, it's nice when you get stuff take this sort of approach with it. In terms of like the jump scares and the approach to that, 
these small scene games, as uh, as you put it, are definitely the best examples of how you should be doing things like that. Because yeah. while not all of them have these jump scare moments, the ones that end on a jump scare, just because we're describing is that it's not as familiar. It's there's always a unique twist to it, right? It's yeah. not just like whatever that bear is from Five Nights at Freddy's jumping into the screen so you can't see anything else. It has it has the quality of a jump scare in that it's unexpected, but they've been building to that so that way when you get to that moment, it has this more unique tinge to it. Again, like with Security Booth, thinking about just how shocking my ending was, you don't get that same sense of the unexpected nature of it mm. if you're not crafting that atmosphere for the entire build up to it. And it's you know, it's like when people say like, oh, jump scares are played out. It's like, well, they are played out, but that doesn't mean that if they're used properly, they can't still be effective. And so far, you know, it's only barely a handful of games that we've talked about, but these, for the most part, seem to be the best examples of how to use those. And it doesn't allow them to be overutilized. And that's not to say that like a lot of other bite-sized games don't have more frequent ones. And, you know, from a couple other that I was playing over the last week, it's the type of thing where I was like, well, this is only 15 minutes. Should there really be six or seven of these little jump scare things? Mm. Because those are not nearly as effective. Whereas the two that we've that I brought to the table this week, they had two of the most effective ones because they put in the legwork to get there and to ensure that they're not being overutilized. If anything, they're being used at just the right moment. It, I think audio work is a big part of it as well because mm. when we were discussing Tonakte, when the creature does sort of emerge, you hear it before you see it, uh, which is worse, always worse in any horror game. It's like if you hear the thing coming after you and don't see it, there's an extra layer of panic because now you don't know what way to run, you know, like that. And <laughs> yeah. I literally on mine did not see it until it got me, you know, that, that, that was it. it. But so it's stuff like that. And again, here with security booth where you're getting this sort of, Escalation of weird sounds and things happening outside, and I don't know. It's it's nice. It's those little incidental noises in this, especially where if you weren't really paying proper attention, you might was that in the game or was that proper? You know, because mm-hmm. I didn't have that with headphones, and yeah, so it was unnerving in that sense where you're not sure if what you're hearing or if it was supposed to be heard or if it's not. So, especially when you get to the point where you're starting to look at the list. Of name, mm-hmm. you know, car, car registrations and stuff, and you start hearing noises while you're doing it, yeah. And you're like, oh shit, like that. And it's because like, <laughs> you know, at first it sort of paces it out where you're like, oh, you do a bit of this, and then something happens, and then your car comes, they do a bit of that, then another car comes, and then yeah, it just starts sort of crunching all those things together more. And yeah, there's, I like the intention of what the ending and the story that leading up into that brings, you know intentional where you're working and what you're doing you know it's like I like that that was a really cool like prelude to something in a way but I, I almost don't want to ever see the rest of it in that right. regard because it's like I like this idea of like oh that's a short story mystery perfect it tells where something a short story is great when it leaves you wondering about I wonder what else happened in that world you know what was going on beyond there and never having that answered and, you know, the last thing I'll say on it is that it does a great job, again, of capitalizing on just the mundane nature of that game by mm. introducing the mechanics and as limited as they are and the amount of space that you're able to explore. Like, you can get out of the security booth, but you can't travel very far, just no. far enough to, like, 
go read this piece of paper, investigate that strange sound that's to the left or the right of you. But what I really loved was just the stacking of those types of experiences that you can have where a car shows up. Okay, I have to run outside, check the license plate, run back in, flip through the book. Oh shit, now the phone's ringing. Now the car's honking. And it builds this anxiety that has nothing to do with what the game alludes to or the horror element. It's just, and you know, I've never worked at a security booth, but I've worked at a restaurant and I've had to take an order while prepare an order. And then the phone starts ringing. Now I'm doing three things at once. And this game captures that in, intensity or sort of the anxiety of the mundane nature of that where thing you feel powerless in a situation where you should have power and on top of that you know it's a horror game where you don't have the means to defend yourself if there was a threat yeah but it's just this wonderful blending of emotions and feelings and then the supernatural or something begins occurring uh the strangeness and that i think is just the smartest way that you can build up a scene like this because again you're never going to get your questions fully answered. You're going to be left with those lingering questions, which I think is a strength in terms of the storytelling. Yeah. But it's able to do so much with so little. I don't think there's more than like 10 lines of text in the entire game, the direction or the uh, the tutorial stuff withstanding. But just like you're given just enough to get a sense of what might be happening, but then you never yeah. get any real answers, which is the perfect way to handle that, I think. But yeah, Security Booth was uh, definitely one of my favorites. Um, that one is just about neck and neck with uh, Experiment Groceries and that you yeah. know, Experiment Groceries was a little more expansive, but at the same time, it still had, again, so a lot of the same things that I just I just commended Security Booth for and that it does a lot with very little and it builds up this false sense of security in terms of what you're doing. And then it takes that quick right turn that kind of makes it incredibly memorable. Yeah, and as we've discussed so many times now, it's like, this using the mundane to make something horror has become like one of my new favorite things about it. You know, mm. as it is about Project Zomboid, about Blood Wash, you know, stuff that where you're just doing something that is very routine and it's relatable, especially for someone you know, like I said, used to work nights and have situations like this where you go into shops that are dead and dead as nothingness, or where you go out into the middle of nowhere and go to a shop and find it is like that as well and you'd feel very alien to the situation and yeah this I, I was like to go back to what I was saying earlier about it being very similar to sort of portering a hotel is that that very specific thing as you were saying about the phone calls as you're having to deal with something else you know I, the amount of times I didn't want to like leave the bar area because something seemed a bit iffy about the people there but I was the only one there and had the phones like across out of that room into the reception area. And I was like, what do I really want to be doing? Uh, it's like, but I, if I'm supposed to be answering the phone, it's like, no, I don't. It, it's a weird, horrible stress that is very specific to that kind of job, those kind of jobs. And as you said, that that's perfectly delivered. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's great because that further... I think shows just how successful something like Security Booth is, isn't that? Yeah. Even if there's no weirdness to it, it still evokes that, whether it's like triggering that memory or that experience that you had that you can relate to, or just the general anxiety of what do I prioritize? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think those are my favorite types of sort of the mundane horror, as uh, as we'll say. But I think that games that capitalize on that and then introduce that horror hook is perfect because... As we've seen with so many games, if all you have is that horror hook, it's like, well, 
that might get burnt out pretty quickly in terms of like, oh, are you just going to have weirdness straight out the gate? What are you going to build to then? And that's all where it's just, again, talking about the construction of a scene. And I think what this first week and just in general uh, of diving into more indie games has taught me is, is that it's not about the length. It's not about how something looks. It's not about what the description might promise or allude to. It's more about how everything is structured because while a game experience might take some people 15, it might take somebody 25 and whatever. At the end of the day, it's a very limited experience. It's up to the player basically how much they want to explore. So structuring it in a way where a majority of people walk away with, okay, we're having the same buildup and the same sort of crescendo is so important. And it shows Mm. just, you know, so many games already that I've played. I would love to see an expanded version of that or see how somebody could do potentially an anthology horror game from just one creator that's like, oh, here's six scenes, and then maybe they're connected to something, maybe they're not. But it kind of just makes me excited. And if anything, it's really reinvigorated my love of horror games in a way that hasn't been for a while, you know? I love talking about all horror games, but just in this last week, I've played a half dozen games that were like nothing else that I'd played, or there might be certain things that are somewhat similar, but overall as an experience it's its own slice of horror that was not something that I experienced similar to before. Yeah, absolutely. I really look forward to doing these more often. And, you know, it's the thing where clearly we only talk, brought two to the table this week, but it's something that I think uh, in the future we could definitely fit in a few more just in terms of getting our, uh, our horror pool and widening it a little bit more. And, yeah. you know, they're generally less than 30 minutes to complete. So yeah, I look forward to diving into this again with you, Neil. Yeah, I mean, it brings it more in line with like <laughs> movie watching. You know, it's yeah, like that you exactly. could like a shorter experience, more to talk about, but not having to spend thirty hours to, t- <laughs> to get the answer. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. yeah, but uh, as usual, uh, we would love for listeners to stay connected to the show by following us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod, and uh, we would love to hear in regards to sort of the indie games that you guys are playing whether it be more recent things, older things, whatever you've been enjoying, we would love to hear from you guys about. But also, any indie devs are listening and want to let us know about their game, please feel free to reach out to us over Twitter. And Neil, as always, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Absolutely. We shall see you again soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.